Hi everybody, welcome back to the Sexual Debut Podcast. I'm your host, Sophia Popwich, and I hope that you enjoy my kind of raspy, sexy morning voice right now. I'm recording um, the intro before posting this on Tuesday because I forgot my laptop charger in the car. I have one note for the episode before I introduce the guest, and that is the person that we talk about in the episode, Judith Butler. I believe uses primarily they them pronouns. I couldn't find an exact source, but I did find a recent bio of theirs that only used they them pronouns, so I wanted to correct that before we get started. The guest on the pod today is my dear friend Emily. She is um, someone I went to grad school with and actually my favorite person to go out dancing with, so I hope you enjoy our conversation. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Emily. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm not going to be fake and act like we did not just get coffee so I could drop <laughs> the mic off with you. Um, but we're all warmed up and ready to go conversation-wise. Yes, I'm excited. I'm glad to be here. Yes, thank you for coming. Um, so <laughs> do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name's Emily. Um, I am just about three weeks away from graduating um, from a dual master's degree in social work and master's in education, focusing on human sexuality education. Um, and I met Sophia through the, um, sex ed track. Um, and yeah, I don't know what else to say. This is, that's always so awkward. That's, that's who I am right now. <laughs> no, no, no. I to- I hate that question in class. I pick your three favorite hobbies I really flounder with those questions so I will not make you do the same um do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about what your like intended area of study or field of interest is yeah so um it's changed quite a bit since I entered the program um I kind of entered with this idea of becoming a therapist and working with people in um like untraditional or non-traditional relationship dynamics, um, like non-monogamy and um, other forms like polyamory. But as I've gone through the program, I've kind of changed, it's developed. Um, So right now I really enjoy working in the substance use disorder field. I like working with people who are pregnant and parenting. Um, I really enjoy learning as much as I can about harm reduction strategies and um kind of like how all of that uh overlaps or intersects with sexuality mm-hmm. so that's kind of where I am but I I feel like I learn about something and then I'm like oh my god I want to know yeah. more about that and then I kind of go deep into that for a little while and then I resurface again and try to reorient myself so it's a it's a um it's an evolution I would say yeah I think that's a really good sign of someone that like is always learning and finding new things that they're interested in and yeah I think also we had really poignant conversations in grad school about spirituality and finding spirituality through grad school and that's kind of how we connected Mm -hmm. um, and have become friends Um, maybe we can talk about it more in the episode or if you want to talk about it now yeah, let's, let's dive into that. I mean, I, 
can only speak for myself, but when I entered the program, I kind of like poo-pooed on spirituality a little bit. Um, yes, yeah. So, <laughs> but throughout the program and some of the like the personal life events that have happened in the last three years, I think that I started to explore more like spiritual realms and then also um, kind of trusted my intuition and the universe a little bit more, which I know sounds kind of woo woo, but like it has worked (laughs) really well for me in the last couple of years. And the more that I dive into it, the more I'm like, okay, like I didn't believe in this stuff before. And now I'm kind of starting to um, question it in a good way. Yes, me too. I talk a little bit, I think, in the episode prior about um, just how I had a bad taste in my mouth with spirituality, both from growing up um, in a very Christian um, part of like rural North Carolina, um, but then also going to undergrad in um, University of North Carolina, Asheville, which for mm-hmm. anyone who doesn't know is a very, very white, gentrified, hippie kind of place. And um, I actually was studying in health and wellness promotion. So a lot of um, people in that program were very woo-woo um, and very new age, spiritual, and some off-putting ways. Um, So I definitely was like, oh, that's not, that was my association with like more non-religious spirituality and forms of that. So when I got to grad school, I was pretty like, you know, poo-poo, like you said, on spirituality in general, but had just, you know, a crisis of being in grad school and being pretty unconnected to the rest of the world being online in a new city and um, found my way back to spirituality and realized that not everyone um, who is practicing new age spirituality is, um, you know, having that kind of uh, new age spirituality to alt-right pipeline. Um, There's... (laughs) Yeah. So not everyone is like that. And no, no, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you too. I, I like, I think for a long time for, um, until up until grad school, I kind of associated spirituality with organized religion. Right. And, um, I did not grow up in a household that like was devout to any religion, but I did grow up in a community that like had pretty strong religious, um, ties and that kind of dictated like um just like my upbringing and what I thought about the world and even like what I thought about myself so being in grad school and um kind of going like through a lot of personal changes along with all this learning and this like yes mind expansion that was happening I I was kind of searching for a way to like connect to myself yeah. And not necessarily to like other people, but just really like try to learn more about myself and why I do the things I do. Um, like look at patterns and it like through slowing down and through like connecting spiritually in different ways has allowed me for that like personal growth along with the academic growth. Did you, do you also find that like there's some correlation there for you. 
Yeah. Um, and this program, too, that we were both part of is, for me, it was really surprising um, how it went. I definitely was, my association with grad school was like seminars and um, academic, like research-based papers and that kind of thing. But because of the nature of what we're studying, the bulk of the program was very, very introspective um, to like an uncomfortable point with a lot of it, which was intentional. Um, mm -hmm. But it was very much like assessing your own biases and your own positionality, um, your own ideas about sex and, and values. Um, so it was not uncommon, probably was done in at least every class to do some kind of um, journal not about like anything academic but about like you and your experience um, so it definitely pointed a mirror um, and that I think definitely helped me to kind of dig a little deeper spiritually yeah I would agree I did not expect that out of the no, MED <laughs> program and I was in I'm in the MSW program too and I really there's not a lot for me, I did not find there was a lot of that happening. So I'm, I got, I think I got really the best of both worlds, like the theories and clinical stuff. And then also like exploring the interpersonal workings. Um, I think it's so surprising too, that the MSW program didn't do more of that. I would expect for it to be opposite. I think there was some interpersonal work, but it definitely was not to the same level of um, intensity that the MED program, yeah. um, works from, but you know, there was a reading, I think it was the first or second semester mm -hmm. in the human sexuality program from, um, um Audrey Lord. Um, and it was the, the power of the erotic, the power of the erotic. And yeah. I honestly, I think that's when something started to click for me with spirituality. I know it, yes. it sounds bizarre that like one essay could kind of no. be like the catalyst to exploring more, but um, I still think about that essay quite a bit. And I bought a book with that essay in it and it has other essays in it. And it's just like, it's something that I always think about when I'm like connecting with myself and my inner knowing. Yes, and I have a, a an article like that too that we had um, in a class together, and I'm really I'm bluffing on the name of it um, or the person who wrote it, but it is specifically about a similar spiritual journey within grad school and how um, spiritual ways of knowing are often discounted yes. in yes. academia, and they're not um, seen as as credible and this was coming from the perspective of a non-white like person in academia and their mm -hmm. experience with very white whiteness in academia and so i'll put that somewhere in the show notes because that like article really like blew my mind open we read it like during a a, a break in class and i was like just invigorated for my last couple of semesters left of grad school after this and yeah. i suggest it to everybody so awesome yeah I think I know what you're talking about but um I don't really remember who I don't remember the name of the article or the author and yeah I would love for you to post that in the show notes so I oh, can yeah. do it again 
Oh, I have the book. You can borrow the book as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So before we like start talking about more personal kind of things, um, do you have any advice for anybody like that's looking into grad or grad school or any like people who are emergent in the sexuality um, field? I, I mean, I think this one is so obvious, but it's like, stay curious, stay open to ways of learning that maybe just maybe aren't academic. And this is something I have to remind myself because I have really enjoyed the program. And as, as it nears, I'm like, how do I continue learning as much as I can about the things that interest me? And it's just really like meeting people and being open to whatever they have to say. And like, if something interests you that they say, like exploring that a little bit further and being really intentional about being open to receiving information that like you may not necessarily be searching for, but can really like help expand either your understanding of a particular subject or like open your eyes to something completely new. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I We'll probably say it a bunch, but that is something that you can do outside of academia or grad school. There is mm -hmm. so much information out there and people to talk to and things to learn that doesn't have to come within the walls of the academy. For sure. And it's like, it's on social media. It's in, um, it's at networking events. It's, it's, it's almost everywhere you go, like just staying open and, and hearing or learning from other people and um yeah it's not just within a university setting yes okay so now I want to dive into like your own personal um experience you talked a little bit about it um about growing up in a kind of religious community so what would you say um your community's values about sex were um and about like maybe your family's values as well okay so community values um I grew up in the midwest mm -hmm. and um like from my perspective I felt like the values around sex were to have children mm. and to be a family to have families and that families have children and that um my sex education in school was really like i mean i was afraid to have sex i'm not gonna lie i was really nervous when i was learning about sex in late middle school and throughout high school i was also incredibly awkward and like i didn't you know, I kind of got picked on a little bit in high school and I just really didn't feel super comfortable in my skin. And I, I remember like looking at like the popular pretty people and just being like, how did they figure it out? Like, how <laughs> are they all friends? Like, <laughs> what am I doing wrong? So I was kind of always grabbing at straws, trying to fit in with people or trying to really be someone that I wasn't. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with the community, but it, I think it also just had to do with like me not really knowing myself or understanding how to know myself. Yeah. Um, and then as far as my family, I kind of got mixed messages, I would say, but I, I don't think it's like inherently like their fault or anything like that. I think they just did the best they could kind of within this like 
dis their own discomfort about talking about sex and sexuality and relationships with, I, I mean, with themselves, but like definitely with their children. Yeah. Um, there's one time that I was in like early high school. I haven't really told a lot of people that, but this, <laughs> but we're gonna, this is a good one. And I think this kind of describes like, this is so formative to me of, of like, I was riding in the passenger seat and my mom was driving and we were driving somewhere in the state. And I said to her, like out of nowhere, like, I never want to have sex. Like, <laughs> and she, I remember her being like, kind of like slowing down and like processing that and, and being like, well, why do you say that? Mm -hmm. and I was like, I don't know. It just sounds like it's very painful. And a lot of bad things can happen from it, mm. like teen pregnancy, you know, which isn't inherently bad, but like, in that's the way it had been pushed down my throat of like, if you have sex, you will get pregnant. And there's like, that's the reason why you would have sex. And so I remember her saying something like, I don't remember her exact words, but it was along the lines of like, I hope that changes for you because sex is a really wonderful way to connect with yourself and with other people That's when insane. it's done. But that was, that was like, that was, I remember that because I was like, okay, this is the first time that an adult has said to me something like positive and gentle yeah, about it. And then I still, wow. I was still a very much a late bloomer going all the way through college, like having crushes and stuff like that. But I like, didn't consensually like agree to anything until like in my early 20s okay yeah yeah but look <laughs> really. at you now yeah look at me now <laughs> <laughs> and I that I think is a huge reason why I decided to do the dual major like to do the social work track and because therapy is important to me but also sexuality like I was still slash still am kind of confused sometimes and like unpacking that it's okay to be confused and it's okay if it's awkward and okay it's okay if like I have no idea what I'm doing and like I think that's kind of why I chose the MED part of the program because I was like I'm actually on this journey for myself to know more mm -hmm. yeah and and being in school is a great place to learn like more about yourself and especially zeroed in with sexuality being the um focus of our program i mean mm -hmm. so much room for introspection i think yes. most people are confused about some aspect of their identity it's especially during the pandemic there's so much uh musings of people thinking about their gender um without having to perform it for others and how that you know fit yeah and I, I think though, like for me, pretty much up until recently, I was performing my mm -hmm. gender and trying to figure out like how to exist with, as a, like as someone who identifies as a cis woman, Yeah, I just, I'm like, it's, this is what everyone else is doing. Like, but it, it doesn't always feel authentic to me or like or when I am being authentic then I'm like am I being authentic like the, is the you know what I mean it's like this yeah. gray area kind of of like when I check in with myself um 
kind of still figuring out who I am and how I exist in the world and, and um, how I am around other people. Yeah. Judith Butler writes all about gender being a performance and super interesting if you've never read any of her stuff. I'm, I don't think I'm familiar. We, we, we probably were supposed to read stuff. In no, no, no. I, I was a women and gender studies um, okay. major in, in college. So there's lots of gender theory. Um, Judith Butler writes a lot of gender theory. Interesting. I will check, I'll check their workout. Um, I know like sexual scripts is something that resonated with me quite mm-hmm. a bit, like sexual script theory, Yes. And, like unpacking how I, like how I have followed certain scripts mm-hmm. and how my partners like in the past, how we have followed certain scripts. And then when like, um, something isn't working for me, for example, like how it can really disrupt the like ecosystem, if you will, of the relationship, because what they expect from me and what I expect from them should, should line up, but it like, wasn't always lining up. Yeah. Um, but not really knowing that until learning more about it. Yeah. That is super interesting. I definitely felt the same way in relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then did you receive any explicit messaging about virginity growing up from like people around you? You know, I feel like I just, I don't remember ever like having a talk with my parents about, about that or anything, but I, I do know that I got some sort of messaging. I just can't pinpoint exactly where it was Mm -hmm. because for a while, even though we did not grow up religious, I was like, I'm going to wait until marriage. Mm -hmm. But like, we weren't, that was not something that was discussed in the home that we should be waiting until marriage. It was just like something that I, and I don't know if it's because of the people that I heard, like my peers at school were talking about it that way. I'm not quite sure where I heard it, but I did for a long time, like stress that I wanted to wait for someone. Mm-hmm. And that one person would be the like the one person. Really glad it wasn't that <laughs> way. <laughs> really glad it wasn't that way. But um, yeah, I definitely got that messaging, and I I just cannot pinpoint exactly where or, or from who. Yeah, it's pervasive. It's very pervasive, and I you know grew up in a religious community I didn't necessarily feel um compelled to wait until marriage I think I always thought that was a little bit um far-fetched um but I did place a pretty big importance on the first time I like would have sex so that it yeah it's definitely just cultural and socialized so deeply so deeply yeah it's like it's in movies right and it's in books and television and like I also got a I think I got a lot of messaging that was like if you have sex outside of a committed relationship or marriage then you are a bad person and I think that more or less was preventing me like I internalized that as like I do not want to do anything that could make me 
make other people think I'm a bad person. And so Mm -hmm. that for me was like, I just, I will continue on, um, until I find someone to have sex with for the first time. Yeah. I think also, I, I think it definitely is. It's not about an experience being incredible and like amazing within marriage. Although I think a lot of communities and religions do, um, kind of focus on it being a nice experience within marriage, but it's more about it. If you don't do that, if you stray from the, um, you're a bad person, it's a, a fear-based thing rather than like an aspirational thing. Yes, definitely fear-based. I would say, yeah, yeah I, I would say, I mean, at least for me, the education, the sex education that I remember learning yeah. about was definitely fear-based. It was like, if you have sex, you will get pregnant. And if you have sex, you will likely get HIV. And that was really, or another STI. And that was like another thing that I was like, I don't really want to do any of those. I don't want any of that to happen to me. And so I'm just gonna pretend like I'm a non-sexual being until I'm older or something. (laughs) So did you first learn about sex in school or was it like outside of school? Honestly, I think it was outside of school. I think it was like in, in media, like yeah. in television and movies. I remember watching like television or a movie with like my mom or something. And she would jump up from the TV and press <laughs> fast forward through scenes. And I remember like, like giggling kind of, and she would kind of be giggling about it too, but we never talked about it. And then like, I had friends with older brothers that I like, kind of like, that's how I learned about porn for the first time, you know, and like, (laughs) just, and then learning a a little bit about sex, but just really focusing on the fact that the, whoever was talking or teaching the class about it was also uncomfortable. So it's just awkward, uncomfortable people. Yeah. Even like, even well-meaning people who are like getting into the weeds with it about it with like kids talking about sex even just the tone and the body language and picking up on how that person is feeling is a very strong non-verbal like indicator that even if we are talking about it no one is enjoying talking about this and it's a shameful uncomfortable thing to talk yes. about yeah like sweating profusely I just remember (laughs) one one of my high school teachers that was like in a health class was like like sweating and I really that's probably all I got from it was like you he's so uncomfortable he's sweating I didn't I missed the whole lesson yeah and as someone now who works with those health and PE teachers it is um honestly unfair on their end as well they do not receive any specialized like training on sexuality based topics and most of them like went into this field to work like in within like sports or PE and most of them didn't go into it with the focus of health so even now like being an adult and seeing adults in that role I empathize too with them Definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, if I, I bet I would be willing to bet, like you were saying, like his, what he received as sex, edu- what this teacher received as sex education before becoming a teacher was probably it. 
And then like having, then being assigned to teach a health class to talk about the basics of sex education. And he was like, fuck, I I, I don't want to do this because I don't even under, I've never been taught anything. So yeah. Yes. And I I think um, being someone who's been scorned by, you know, American sex ed and schools, there's a kind of inclination to to shit on the people that taught us really poorly and I definitely felt that and being able to work with those people now in my job I honestly just want to encourage people to have empathy for for them as well yeah yeah I definitely don't blame him or my parents or anybody like I think that a most part like for most part people are doing the best that they can with the resources and tools that they either were given or or have looked into but um yeah I think you know there's a lot of future sex educators either in school now or getting ready to graduate who are like how can we take that and you know propel it forward so that there's less discomfort in talking about it in general I have a lot, a lot of hope for the, you know, the coming generations um, and the sex ed that they'll receive. I'm very hopeful about it. Same. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's see. So then when did you feel like what kind of indicated to you that you were ready to have sex? I finally got a boyfriend. Nice. And I was just like, I'm done waiting. Like I'm, you know, I'm done waiting. And I felt like I was the last person in my group of friends to have sex too. And not that they like were pressuring me by any means, but just like we, they would talk about it. And I would be like, that's great. You guys. (laughs) Nothing to add. Yeah. I don't really have anything to add. Um, Yeah. So I just, met someone and said hey let's try this out yeah do you feel like you would have had sex earlier or in a different circumstance if you hadn't been like taught to fear it so much yeah I think it's an important part of like learning about yourself Mm -hmm. your whole self and I think that if I hadn't been so afraid of it um I definitely think it would have been something I would have explored okay. much earlier. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, there's people on the other end of that spectrum too, like myself. I don't think I would have been as interested in sex because of course I'm a very defiant and <laughs> anti-authority kind of person. <laughs> so I was like, I want to have sex now. So I wonder if I would have had sex later if I didn't have that kind of defiance. Yeah, it's like, what what would become of us if it was just a little bit different, tweaked a little bit differently? It's hard for me to imagine. I know there are like such great like thinkers who have very like futuristic and like hopeful and optimistic minds where they can envision these these futures or mm-hmm. um, alternate realities, but I'm not one of those. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't really think I'm one of one of them either <laughs> yeah yeah okay so then describe to me um an ideal sexual experience for you 
that I've already experienced or that I would want to? Either one. Ooh, okay. Um, I like, I think one of your, I think one of your um, speakers, I think it was Brie, mentioned like spending the whole day kind of yeah. with someone and doing like that, treating that like kind of like foreplay, right? Like intentionally focusing on one another um, and just really enjoying each other's company and deep talks, that sort of stuff. I'm really, really into that. Um, but then I'm also kind of like into like the kinky, wild, a little bit like getting into a whole nother mind space and then the next morning like talking about it and like using that as like um foreplay basically but for the yeah. next day so I'm kind of like both I love um the post game uh talk the post-sex talk like there's a lot of importance placed on the like pre-sex talk mm -hmm. I don't think there's enough importance placed on like the post sex talk yeah like, like a check-in yes. kind of or like I can even consider it aftercare I know that's like mm -hmm. really used like a lot in the um dominant or submissive groups or BDSM groups but um I kind of like the idea of like if you're going to connect with someone sexually talking about it afterwards is helpful for me like did you like this what did you like um what do you wish would have gone differently? Like just kind of checking in and like doing a debrief, if you will. And then maybe that will lead to like more fun, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I was going to say when you talk about it like this, just talking about it procedurally, it sounds dry or clinical or like you're having a work meeting, but it's not like that at all. No. I mean, in my experience, when I try to introduce that to my partners, at first they're like, okay, maybe that's, that's, that's you being you and yeah. your interests. But then getting talking about what turned you on can lean to you like being turned on again. And yeah. <laughs> and like knowing what your partner liked or, or even like would have changed is important. It's something that like, I want, I'm very much a giver. Right. And mm -hmm. I just want to make sure that like, I'm, I'm enjoying this experience as much as like they're enjoying it. And if something needs to change or something needs to be tweaked, like there's no ego in the way of that. I want to hear it and I want to work on it or improve it or, you know, yeah. be creative with it. So not everyone's like that though. And <laughs> you know. implementing that can be like sometimes, especially people um, like, cis men definitely have some egos about that but if you are having sex with someone like of that group you can always preface it by saying like this is for both of us and this is something that like will make the sex that we have the next time better and more pleasurable yeah. or even like talking about this like really turns me on you know like mm -hmm. making the talk about it like kind of like foreplay again even if it doesn't happen right away but just being like I like to openly talk about this mm -hmm. um and this is something that like talking about with other people uh, like if you're comfortable with it would like enhance you know 
the relationship or enhance like my feelings around sex with you or something like that. Like obviously consensual discussions, but yeah, that's kind of important for me. I agree. And also like just to mention, it's very understandable that cishet men have that pressure on them and have an ego about sex because they're told so often that they have to perform and Mm -hmm. be, um, you know, the one that is giving pleasure in a, in a um, sexual situation. So it's understandable that they would, they would feel that way. Yeah. Sexual scripts, right? (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) So with that in mind, then tell me about your biggest turn on or biggest turn off or both. My biggest turn off is when I tell someone in the act that something feels good and they stop doing it and switch oh to god <laughs> i feel so frustrated when that happens and especially if it happens over and over and over like i i'm the fool at that point um <laughs> biggest turn on is like eye contact mm-hmm. um like kind of consistently checking in, like, how does this feel? I want to do this. Would you like that? That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's it. I think I'm just really like in a, like in the moment, like focused and present is a turn on. That's a good, yeah, it's nice to be present during sex a lot of people struggle with that for various reasons but yeah Yeah. i definitely have oh the like or you telling someone that you like something and then changing up the intensity or the speed uh, or the pressure i'm like no no follow my voice (laughs) (laughs) i'm over here i'm here this feels good exactly how you're doing it we do not need to reinvent the wheel let's just keep doing it this way and then when it when I just feel like that doesn't happen um and it's uh, like a pattern of that not happening and especially if I talk about it afterwards like hey you know I told you I like something and you you stopped doing it or you did your own thing or you you changed something about it like can you tell me why you heard that and then did this? Very dramatic. And yeah, I I try to be because I think for a, a long time, like in my early 20s, I was not direct, but like the more that I've like learned about my own sexuality and what I like and what I don't like, I'm like, I don't want anyone to try to guess. No, <laughs> no, that's the thing. I think a lot of messaging recently from like a, a good place um, has people thinking, I think especially women in straight relationships, that like their partners are supposed to read their minds. Yes. And that's just not reality. Not at all. Not yeah. at all. And why do you think your partners who like didn't hear what you were saying like continue to do something else? Like, have you ever gotten that insight from any of them? No. Oh my gosh. No. I hadn't really like... Um... I sometimes just really felt like they they didn't hear me. 
and not because like they had um difficulty hearing or hearing impairment or something but like they didn't want to hear me or or didn't know how to hear me in the way that I needed right um so it just I kind of felt like I wasn't understood or heard by some of the people that I've slept with before um or even been in relationships with oh gosh it just goes back to the like performance thing like it's very difficult to do something that's mutually pleasurable when you are thinking about it from the lens of it being a performance yes yeah or the or the goal of orgasm right which I'm definitely guilty of at one point in my life and I'm starting to move away from of like the goal is not necessarily orgasm for me um it's really like being in the moment and enjoying like all the feelings that are coming with everything that we're doing and not necessarily being like there is a finish line like yeah and that for me like that has been a restructure and so I do kind of think that for some of the partners I've had in the past that that was the end goal because that's what we were have been kind of told is the end goal right yeah um so it's not like like I still like hold a grudge or I'm angry with with those people but just like mm-hmm. moving forward this is what is important for me and this is what I know I need to work on and this is what I want in future partners yeah the wonderful like just amazing sex can be without an orgasm I've heard so many anecdotes and had my own experiences where orgasm wasn't even like part of the sexual experience yeah yeah and then like because I think that also takes the pressure off of like it has to be penetrative yeah sex like Mm -hmm. it can I don't know like for me if if I'm with someone and we are like cuddling or like um mutual massage with one another or something like that like even that is sexual for me it's not necessarily like clothes have to be off we're completely naked Mm -hmm. and we're like super connected it's just like touch and kissing and giggling and that sort of thing too is like an important part of a sexual experience for me yeah definitely it's sex is about everything leading up to the big act and that's even talking about it in a way that's like not the way I'd like to portray it like yeah up to anything yeah it can just be the main course yeah the main course but you're right like there's there is a lot of emphasis big act and even I mean it's hard to like rewire myself from saying like oh I just you know want to come or something like that because that's not true I that's not the whole point for me of like why I'm doing that with someone else it's like I want to connect with myself I want to connect with them I want to like leave my body for a moment in time (laughs) yeah yeah and that's not to say that if your goal of having sex with someone to orgasm like that's a a bad thing no no absolutely not yeah it's I'm speaking to the the third audience in the room it's kind of kind of strange to do that but (laughs) trying to figure that out yes 
inclusive of everybody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, okay. So then, do you have any like sexual debut stories that are either just like fantastic or horrific? Like it could be like an intro into kink, maybe or something like that. Um, no pressure. Um, I think that some of the experiences I had in my mid and late twenties, um, in like the like non-monogamous and also in the kink. Um, and BDS um, scenes were like really important sexual debuts and not that like I was having like intercourse during them but like just being around people who are so open and in tune with their bodies and with other people and there's a lot of like consent and respect and um like empowerment happening you know because before that sex was is was very performative right for me and for the people that I was with and it was not super playful it was like oh we're in a relationship and we see each other every weekend so we probably should do this and that's that's fine too but like when I started exploring more like openness and sexuality um and meeting people who like were married but had multiple partners or like played together as a partner or just like to be watched or like to watch other people I just was like this is eye-opening and um empowering like yeah I don't know it's hard to describe it's like speechless almost no I definitely like picking up what you're putting down for sure yeah so I noticed look listening back to the um prior episodes that even the way I worded this kind of um is reinforcing an idea of virginity but um would you change what you would describe as losing your virginity um if you could like, would you pick a different experience altogether? Because that's something that the idea of sexual debuts lends itself well to. Like, you can pick, like, what you decide as your sexual debut. Yeah, like, I think the first time that I had intercourse, like, in my early 20s with the boyfriend, um, I, like, don't really, I don't regret it or anything or that um I think that like in a weird way anytime I try I feel this I don't know if this is cliche or annoying but like sometimes when I have like a sexual experience either with myself or with other people and it's new it's like a new experience a new person new place it's kind of like a sexual debut yeah exactly yeah. And it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't have to be penetrative intercourse or something like that. It could just be like learning something new or experiencing something new or being with someone new. It's kind of like, oh, okay. Like, wow, my eyes are opened again. Yeah. And it's such a good reframe. And I feel like I've even been applying it to my own like life. Even if you just like the combination of like uh stimulation has changed up or a position has changed up like my partner and I were talking the other day 
And he said, I think we might have unlocked something with, with that <laughs> session. <laughs> so that was a sexual debut like in itself. Um, yeah, unlocking is a great way to describe a sexual debut. Yeah, too. because sometimes you don't, like there's uh, a new sensation that you feel or a new outcome of like mm-hmm. certain stimulation that you've never experienced before. Yeah. Even if it's with the same person doing relatively similar things. Yes. Yeah. It's like, we've done this handful of times, but this, we made such a small change, but it really, like really changed the way we both felt. Yeah. That would, that would be a debut. Yeah. I think to be nerdy about sex, like there are so many different variables involved in a sexual experience that like can greatly change because we're dealing with such like sensitive parts of the body and our minds are very sensitive um and the stimulus what's going on in the experience yeah. um that was my dog breaking in <laughs> let me in he just opened the door he is not like, being excluded from the conversation <laughs> he's like how dare you prevent me from being in the moment with you he, you know what? Everyone needs to take a page from Moses' book. He's always trying to be in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then on that note, like, what do you think about describing uh, the first time that you had an orgasm as a sexual debut? Um, I think the first time I ever had, well, I think in general, mm, I don't know, because that kind of gets back to like the whole point of sex is an orgasm. Oh, I know. That's what I would. Yeah, I agree. Hmm. I think maybe like that's a could be a type of sexual debut. Yeah. But because I think that a lot, I mean, from what I understand, not everybody orgasms. Some people have difficulty orgasming. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's no fault of their own or their partners or anything like that. It's still like uncharted territory. Yeah. Um, and difficult to understand, but there is like this huge emphasis that like, especially let's say in heterosexual relationships, right. That like the man is supposed to like that there's like that both partners should achieve orgasm. Right. Mm -hmm. And they should be working together in order to achieve that for both of them. But if that doesn't happen for, let's say the, the woman in the relationship, even if she doesn't put any pressure on her partner, sometimes there's still like this, I can't make her come sort of mentality. And that like adds to this pressure of like, I'm Mm -hmm. not good enough. This like, is this relationship working? Like all this sort of stuff. And I, I think like we were talking about reframing sexual experiences as like enjoying each other in the moment or enjoying your partners in the moment or whatever, whoever's involved and not necessarily having to get to the orgasm. Mm -hmm. I know. And writing these questions, I wasn't in any dialogue with anyone, just myself. And then having all of the guests who are, a lot of them are sexuality, like professionals themselves, has brought a new 
uh, perspective to the question. So I actually really appreciate it. Yeah. You, you always have great questions. Sophia, oh. like even in class, uh-huh. you're the way you can like read something and critically think, and then like, um, like ask questions for like deeper reflection or deeper exploration. Um, when I was reading through the questions, like I was like, oh, okay, this is the Sophia from our grad school <laughs> classes. And the cool thing is when you like ask people questions, right? They can answer with like a different like rephrase of that question. And then you're like, oh shit, I didn't think about it like that. So the never question. questions. I'm sorry. No, no, it's like the never ending question. Yes. Yeah. Especially with really- questions back and forth. <laughs> Yeah, especially with the amazing guests that I have had on and plan to have on. So yeah. I appreciate you being here and stroking yeah. my ego a little bit right there. <laughs> I can't help it. You're good. <laughs> I'm trying to essence, or bottle the essence of grad school critical thinking, Sophia, and put it into a podcast. So yeah. I'm glad You're that it's working. I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So then do you remember your sexual awakening? I really don't think it was until I was like in my mid twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was after like you had been having sex for a little bit, right? Yeah. Like after I've been having sex for a little while, I just was really like still so confused about whether I was like enjoying it or like I should just enjoy it or if this is just how it is because like none of my friends were really talking about it or some of my friends would talk about it but then other people would be like uncomfortable talking about it um and it was really like a private thing between two people and so when I moved out of state and I moved far away and I started going to like really sex positive environments and talking to people who just like openly talked about it and openly talked about like experiences that they had or fantasies that they wanted to have or like whatever. I think that was my sexual awakening of like, huh, I feel still awkward, but less confused. <laughs> yes. It's okay. Sex is awkward sometimes. It is. Being and a that's... human is awkward. So. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I have become a way more awkward person after the pandemic or during the pandemic rather yeah yeah Yeah. in a cocoon of yeah go ahead pandemic it's interesting too that um your sexual awakening came after like having sex for the first time yeah i i just think that like i was having sex in my early 20s because I wanted to but also because I felt like that's what I should be doing I was in a relationship with someone um we dated for a while like I just felt like that's what we should be doing but it was I wasn't always um like I didn't like necessarily crave it or anything. It was more or less like, this is just what we do in a relationship. Yeah. Um, and then when I moved to like out of state, I, um, I think it was just like, Oh, like there is a way to enjoy this. Mm -hmm. And it, 
isn't like I was told to enjoy it or what like I what was modeled to me I should say less like more so than told how to do it the right way right um so the sexual awakening happened when I left the nest a little bit I I love that because when again I'm writing these questions basically in conversation with myself and my own experiences and I can distinctly remember watching Mulan and feeling very sexually attracted to Mulan when she was dressed as Mulan and Mulan when she was not dressed or I, I can't remember the name that she used um so that was like my bisexual awakening and I was like whoa um <laughs> I like what's going on here um so I really enjoy hearing like everyone else's experiences with their own sexual awakening yeah, that's that's interesting too because I think I was very much operating in like the heterosexual um mm-hmm. awakening in my early 20s and throughout most of my 20s I would say. But I like in the last couple of years have been like was it is it because I'm heterosexual or is it because I grew up and that was really the only thing that was talked about or modeled around me and stuff like that so I would say maybe I'm going through another sexual awakening (laughs) maybe it happens like every six years or something you know how they say like your skin changes yes yeah things change like every seven years like maybe in tandem with that like I can have a sexual awakening every couple of years because now it's like I exclusively like dated cis hetero men or was attracted to cis hetero men and now it's not that way and it's so I'm like again confused I'm in (laughs) therapy and I'm like I don't I don't really know what's happening I don't know why I'm not attracted to the same people I am I don't know why I'm like interested in exploring other like other people and other parts of myself but like I'm tired of this <laughs> yeah I wonder too if we didn't have such strong s- sexual scripts if there would even be such a like strong force of like multiple sexual awakenings throughout our lifetimes because I've had similar experience with gender and sexuality where um in middle school because I like noticed attraction to people um with similar gender to me I was mm-hmm. like I am gay. I am a lesbian. That is the mm-hmm. only option for like describing my experience. Um, yeah. And then I realized, like, you know, I've heard in passing the word bisexual, but until I saw it, maybe um, someone talking about it from their own experience, I had another sexual awakening. Like, yeah. oh my god, like yeah. that is a better word for what am I experiencing? So yeah, I want there could be a way to study the different sexual awakenings of people have throughout their lifetimes. That'd be wildly interesting. I know. Um, immediately started thinking like, who would be part of that study? Like who would participants and how young would they start? And would it matter like what region of, if it's just in North America, for example, like what region it would be, or like, would it be a global Imagine if we could make that happen a global long time like lifetime study 
Yeah. You had to find some major funding for something like that. <laughs> Serious money. Yeah. Maybe in a couple years or so. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Anyone yeah. listening? <laughs> yeah. Who's out there who can be our investor in this? God, that uh, that'd be great. One can dream. Be. I think too, like I know that with my therapist and talking about sexual awakenings, we've discussed a little bit about compulsory heteronormativity. I think heterosexuality. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Heterosexuality. Thank you. And um, that has been kind of eye-opening in there's like stuff on, you know, online, there was an essay written. I can't remember who originally kind of came up with that term, but um, they wrote an essay and then like TikTok is blowing up about it. And there's just lots of ways to like, I think a lot of people um, have like learned about themselves through that. I don't, I don't even know if it's a theory, if it's just like a idea. So I think um, Adrian Rich is who came up with that um, okay. perspective. Um, it's compulsory heterosexuality. Yes. Um, I think it, there's an essay on it, but oh, okay. I think that's where the concept comes from like feminist theory yeah very nice and I in my own like in my professional work feminist theory is something that I kind of dig into quite a bit of like why we do the things we do or like what influences us or what impacts us that sort of thing so compet is something that also is interesting for me to unpack both for myself but for like people in general yeah. Have you read the lesbian master doc? I did. I read it. Yeah. <laughs> did it ago. cause any spiraling? No, not so much spiraling, but I did was like, wow, this is an like impressive piece of literature. <laughs> yes. It's like, the time it took to do that work. Oh, and I think also too, it's fun to see people of my generation and younger like dig into these concepts in ways that they like they don't I maybe wouldn't even recognize that they're mm-hmm. talking about compet or feminist theory but the whole um trend of like women having the ick by certain <laughs> very normal things that like <laughs> their um partners are doing mm-hmm. is part of that as well um, yes yeah it's like being honest about that too being open sharing that and like oh oh, having awareness around it too okay yeah I think it's I I could talk about it forever same (laughs) so then if this is kind of just a a silly like top of your head kind of question but if you could only have sex one time in your whole life would you do it like one more time or like if I've never had sex for the whole duration of your life I my first thought is no me too (laughs) one time and then never again I wouldn't Mm -hmm. really want to taste that and then never be able to taste it again that's what I'm thinking too I'm too like hedonistic (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay cool Bree dug into it and was like what are like I would probably wait till I was younger or older and had a lot of questions about it but 
I like right before you. death or something. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this is the way out. Like I have worked so hard for this one moment. <laughs> okay. So let's see. Professionally, personally, like when do you think the right time to talk to kids about sex is? I think like talking about sex with children is really important. And I think um doing it in a way that's obviously age appropriate, but starting with like body parts and um positive body image and consent and that sort of thing that like people don't necessarily relate to sex ed um I think that those sorts of conversations should be had like starting at a really young age and then incorporating like more like layers of sexuality that are age appropriate as kids grow older um and that's like my personal and professional opinion. Um, I don't have children. And, but like, I have talked to my friends who do have kids of just like, what do you talk about with them? Like when they ask questions, how do you answer them? Or like, why do you think you answered it like that? And not to like shame people or anything, but just to really understand like in this modern world, what are we talking about and how are we presenting that material? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So I assume that you've used a sex toy before. Mm-hmm. Do you have an experience? Um, it could be the first experience using a sex toy or an experience that is remarkable in some way that you would like to share. I think like post breakup treat yourself sex toy is <laughs> like has been you know my favorite um or like a memory that stands out to me the most about using a sex toy is just like literally feeling so sad and feeling like empty a little Mm -hmm. bit and really missing someone um and missing like being with them even if like the end of the relationship wasn't that great but like missing that connection to someone that that I built and that we built together and knowing that that's likely not going to happen again and so just going out and going you know to a store and getting something for myself and then like using it a lot (laughs) (laughs) like still crying a lot (laughs) Sad, and then also like prioritizing pleasure yes I the constant of being able to know that you can whip out your vibrator when you're sad hung over depressed yes crying I have even masturbated while crying <laughs> yes yeah it's like I need this right now because I have a headache from crying so much that I need yeah. to take away the headache with some pleasure or go to sleep yeah oh yeah going to sleep also great good for the immune system like there's so many benefits literally no downside and people who say that you can get desensitized that's not like that's not necessarily true there's more to that story like if you are used to any kind of um stimulation that leads to orgasm in a specific way it could be from your hand too like yeah a different experience um with the goal of orgasm 
like it could take longer or could take a little bit more concentration and if you do find yourself feeling like you can only orgasm using a certain toy or your hands yeah um, switch up the method yeah switch it up exactly even but if that if you know what works for you yeah that's awesome keep using that like if it ain't broke don't fix it yeah yeah not broken <laughs> So is there anything that you have tried sexually that you really did not like? I did not like being submissive. Mm, nice. I tried like being submissive in a long-term committed relationship with someone who was like only going to be dominant. And I thought that I would like it and I hated it. And I was like almost borderline bratty about it, but like, at a certain point, it just, it was like, not even fun to try to get in that space yeah. at all. Um, it could very well been the dominant person. Right. But, um, I, ever since then, I've been more or less like, I'm not submissive and I cannot be the switch. So <laughs> <laughs> definitely identify more as dominant nice I didn't know that about you that's awesome yeah because like on the outside it's like oh you're so midwestern so you know that's the thing that is the thing I, I not to be reductive but generally when I speak to people or I've like heard of other people's experiences you tend to gravitate towards um like a um, power dynamic in sex that you don't have in your everyday day-to-day -day mm -hmm. life. That's why you see a lot of um, super high-powered business execs, like, who are really submissive during sex. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, who, like, don't want to make the decisions. They want to be told what to do and maybe humiliated as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. yeah. And, like, good, because we like people like that. <laughs> <laughs> more subs for Emily yeah, yes. <laughs> oh boy so then like what is something that you have tried sexually that you liked but it surprised you hmm oh okay so like I don't know if this is technically sexually mm -hmm. it's like kinky like mm -hmm. um a friend of mine just, like showed me how to like get zapped like mm -hmm. um like with a violet wand Yes, yes, yeah. And I really liked that. And I liked like the sharp pinching pain of it on myself. Mm -hmm. Um which yeah, I, I I like that I was surprised. Yeah. To know the, that like, that. It's the violet wand is so cool. That's another like sex toy on my list that is mm -hmm. kind of pricey that I'm like, oh, I want it. Yes. Yeah, it is pricey, but um, yeah, it's fun. Yes, <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving too, because like exactly. it's not like a one-use wonder, you know. No, that's what a lot of sex toys are. Yeah. Yep. Okay, and then what is something that you want to try sexually, like before you die? Hmm. Try is a little morbid. Um, at any time. All right, <laughs> we kind of like morbid things. We're okay there. Um. <laughs> Man, that's a, I don't really, 
No. And that makes me kind of sad that I don't know. I think maybe some more like, um, like group sex, Mm -hmm. but not, not involving cis heterosexual men. That's hard to find sometimes in spaces. Yeah. Yeah. So like exploring that without like I don't know because sometimes like in the past when I did that with partners and like primarily dated cis hetero men um there was like they like I was doing it for myself but they were still like reaping the benefits of watching and like I would like to participate in something like that but like there's no one watching there's like no like like one-way glass mirror or something, you know, where like men are watching women or other genders do that. It's just really like the people involved are having fun without being like on display. Mm. I like that. Yeah. And it's hard to find that sometimes in like kink and BDSM or non-monogamous spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then last question before we go, if there are any words of wisdom that you'd like to see passed on to the next generation about sex, what would that be? Quick and dirty. Um, I really like the saying, don't yuck someone's yum. That's a good one. And um, that like sex and sexuality is awkward mm-hmm. and it's okay. And just like like just keep talking about it and maybe laugh about it if that's how you get by, but like, don't put, don't wrap so much shame up in it. Like not looking a certain way, like on porn or something like that. Like like that. it's just, it's just awkward and that's okay. It's, it's still okay. beautiful and it's still fun and you can still like have fun with it, explore with it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming. Hi, y'all. Thanks for listening to another episode of the podcast. As far as I can tell, y'all are liking it because I can see that I have um, listeners for every episode, but I haven't heard much back from you all on what you'd like to hear or see in the podcast. So I want to have this podcast be more of a community forum and a podcast where you can hear your experiences and stories reflected so if you want to share any stories or questions those can always be anonymous and those can be sent to the sexual debut podcast instagram through dms or you can send me an email at sexual debut podcast at gmail.com i'd love to hear from you soon and have a great day sexies